Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. Don't be afraid to go out there and, and call up a restaurant, email a restaurant owner, whatever it might be, and pick their brain or ask, hey, I'm really trying to find a new point of sale system or I'm really trying to find a better vendor for my breads or whatever. And other people can help you and help you save a lot of time too and probably point you in a better direction than maybe you would if you were just trying to do it on your own. So I think asking for help is a really big one. This is Bruce Kirschheimer, co-founder of Harden Hill, Urban Hill and Hills Kitchen. Brooks is passionate about the restaurant industry and been since he was a kid. One of the first presents he ever put on a wish list for Christmas was a cash register, so he could play restaurant all the time. And hereafter, his destiny was set. But before opening his own restaurant business, he worked for some great hospitality businesses like the Miramans, Hawaii, and as general manager for Robert Redford's Sundance Mountain Resort and many other great brands. We start this conversation to talk about why he started out as an independent restaurant owner and how it is to run a business with your closest family members. Brooks share their approach to growth and how they build unique culture that people want to support and join. He shares his view on the key challenges and opportunities for independent operators right now and in the coming years. He gives some super advice how to tackle the current staffing crisis and he shares the future of a restaurant model that will look very different than the one we knew from before where we typically look at the cookie cutter model. Brooks shares his biggest learnings in the last two years and he shares some great advice on how to innovate your independent restaurant business. Before you tune in, please sign up for our weekly newsletter packed with more Maverick insight, strategies and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. Grab your notebook, lots of brilliant nuggets in this conversation. Enjoy. Today, we will be hearing from the independent scene, which is always exciting because there's always and have always, in my view, been so much innovation going on. Because when you have your own independent business, you also serve your local community. And uh, independent restaurants, in my view, often can build this, you know, very unique feel about them, not just as a customer, but also as an employee, the culture kind of thing. And so I'm sure we're going to dive into that. And then we're going to dive into a bit like, you know, we are, we are still in the pandemic, but we are probably in the, as I talked with today's guest about, in the last bit of it were vast amount of opportunity is coming as well. So we're going to dive into, into that as well. And then I'm 100% sure we're also going to talk a bit about the future and the restaurant model of the future, especially the independent market, because uh, even before the pandemic, I was talking about the independent market 
were having this renaissance and it would will come back strong. And I didn't know there was a pandemic that really would speed that up. And I still believe that. So I'm going to uh, go in and have a conversation, a deep dive into that as well. But for that, I I have a independent restaurateur the the launch the business uh, in the the just before the pandemic broke out. So hadn't been in business for long before the pandemic hit them. So what what a challenge! And uh, today's guest comes from all the way from the other side of the Atlantic, from from the US. So welcome to the show, Brooks. And you, you have quite a story, uh, Brooks, because, of course, you haven't just run your independent restaurant. You've also been somewhere else and, and learned the skills and learned the ropes before you jumped out and started your own business. Could, can you tell a bit about your story and, and the purpose of why you needed to go and, and launch, launch an independent restaurant? Because that sounds like, you know, sometimes said to people, why, why would you open a restaurant of all the things you could do? Yeah, it's, it's a, a large question, I think, especially during the pandemic has gained even, you know, much bigger. And I think a lot of people have said, yeah, you're crazy. Uh, and we think we're crazy. But uh, I started uh, way back in Los Angeles where I was, I grew up. And uh, when I was young, I asked for a cash register for Christmas so I could play pretend restaurant with my two sisters. And from there, I started working when I was 15 years old. And at a local mom and pop restaurant in the town I grew up in, I worked there on and off for five, six years, um, as well as some other restaurants in the Los Angeles area. And then I went to school for hotel, restaurant, tourism, management at the University of Denver in Colorado and uh, studied there. And then I was honored to get an opportunity to work for uh, the Montage Hotel Group in Beverly Hills, opening their brand new five-star hotel. And then uh, I was in the restaurants there, room service. And then from there, I transferred to their next property, Montage Sheer Valley here in Utah, where I am currently. And I was at the Montage for two and a half years. And then from there... I worked for Robert Redford here in Park City at his restaurant called Zoom for two and a half years, gained great uh, experience as somewhat of an independent restaurant, but also tied to a hotel that was about 45 minutes away. And then uh, from there, I got an opportunity to go to Hawaii with my wife, and I worked for a restaurant tour, Peter Merriman at Merriman's, and I really gained a lot in a fine dining experience for an $11, $12 million a year restaurant group, um, restaurant. Uh, and then from there, my dad retired and, and started looking into some restaurants in Park City. And uh, that's where Hearth and Hill came to be. Uh, December of 2018 is when we opened. Um, I moved back just short about a year before then. And uh, we were able, we signed the lease in April of 2018 and we were open by December 16th of 2018. So pretty quick turnaround, a completely brand new from the ground up built restaurant. Uh, so it was an empty space that we took over that had never been built in before. And uh, that is where Hearth and Hill came to be. And restaurants have always been in my blood and something that have always excited me since I was younger. And on your journey, you have, you like know, you work for some incredible brands, but also Robert Redford. Uh, how was that, you know, that specific, you know, journey with Robert Redford and working in uh, with him and, and the standards he sets? Yeah, it was, it was an honor to be able to work for someone like Robert Redford, who had really established a great brand that I was able to go into and continue the success uh, that we had. Um, you know, the great thing with Mr. Redford is that you have the Sundance Film Festival, so that was always exciting every single year that we were able to be a part of. And so you have all the celebrities and all the different types coming to the restaurant. Um, but he was great to work for. He and his his three kids kind of left us to, to do our job. They knew that we were the experts and um, they were very supportive. And uh, it was also fun to get a glimpse into his life every once in a while. They would share some of the movies with us that he was a part of especially towards the end of his career where now he's not making movies anymore. 
And um, he's, uh, yeah, take a lot of pride in saying that you work for Robert Rexford. Yeah, I could, I could imagine. Um, what is the, the purpose of your business? No doubt about it. It's a family business. You already told your dad got involved. He retired. He got involved. Your wife is in, involved. Uh, what was the, the purpose of setting up your, your own family restaurant business? Yeah, it was, it was a dream ever since I was a little kid. And so I w did not expect, you know, going through the business at a younger age and out of college that my dad would want to get into the restaurant business. Um, he was in the financial industry his whole career for decades. And um, to my surprise, he was very intrigued by it, uh, as I think a lot of people are. But then it's a whole difference to be intrigued versus taking the plunge. And he took the plunge and uh, was excited to get into the business. And You know, it's great because we are able to uh, complement each other. Uh, he brings a lot of strengths from the back of the house side, the financial side. And obviously, I bring the strengths of the operational and being in the game for a really long time. And so I think it's always great when you find a partnership that each person brings something different to the table and that you're not just bringing the same thing, because I think that's when you're going to have challenges present themselves. And how is it that, that, that probably some of the listeners think that how is it exactly to, to work so closely with, you know, you know, all the key people in your family life and, and uh, what strengths do that bring? And does it bring challenges as well? Oh, it absolutely brings challenges. I mean, I think just like anybody, uh, it presents itself with some, you know, disagreements at times and how to work through that. And as I tell a lot of people, you know, obviously I had a, I've been lucky to have a great father-son relationship throughout my life, but now being in business together, it certainly brings a different meaning to that. And so at times, Uh, you need to agree to disagree just to continue to move things on. But we're lucky that it's just the two of us. We don't have any other investors. So, um, you know, as we say, we don't let grass grow in decisions. When we're working with vendors or as we're growing the restaurant group and working with general contractors or architects or design teams, um, we make decisions quickly. And we're lucky that it's just the two of us to be able to chat amongst each other. But we support each other um, and we understand each other's strengths and weaknesses and, and uh, push each other to be the best we can be. What is it that, that makes your place unique compared to, to, to anything else that is in the market? Besides, you're an independent restaurant, but already set you in a specific niche of restaurants. But what is that thing that people talk about when they, they visit you and why they come to you? I think it's part of what you mentioned at the beginning uh, of the intro, which is that we're a gathering spot and we're a true local community destination. You know, we're located in Park City, Utah, so we're a mountain town. Um, which can be seasonal, you know, the spring and the fall can be some quiet time of year for us. And where we're located, um, we're one of the more higher end restaurants that's located in the area where more of the locals live. Um, you know, there's a big main street where a lot of the, the visitors like to go. Um, we're about 10, 15 minutes away from that. And we find that we purposely put ourselves here because A, it was a, a newer area, but also B, that we felt like there was a great opportunity to become that gathering spot for the locals that they could feel comfortable, you know, even after soccer practice with their kid or on a date night or on the business gathering, that we really fit all the different areas. Um, and to complete the gathering spot, to be a community-centric restaurant, we give back to the local nonprofits. So we take a lot of pride in assisting a lot of those in the area that need us the most, um, that need the support the most. And so we do, we've done throughout the pandemic, we started doing matching nights where we would provide 20% of our sales back to a local nonprofit. And so we've given over $15,000 during the pandemic to local nonprofits to assist them um, with 
you know, their purpose and what they're working on. And so we take a lot of pride in that. And we feel that guests want to support a business that supports others and that has a larger purpose than just making money. And so we feel like that has been a huge, uh, a huge success for us, that people want to be a part of something and someone that is doing something greater than the good. So we're, yeah, we're excited to be a part of that here in Park City. What did you see from those evenings you did there? What has it been like some kind of dribble effect of that when you were then moved on through the pandemic? Uh, did did customer mention that was important to them? Um, have you seen, you know, specifically business has just improved by actually being very clear about this is what we do and actually do it as well, just not talking about it? Yeah, we found a lot of people uh, come back to us because of, you know, the community support that we've provided. Um, a lot of people mention it that, wow, thank you so much for supporting my daughter's, you know, softball club, or thank you so much for, you know, supporting the local homeless shelter or whatever it might be. Um, it really resonates with people. I think especially in today's day and age where people know that there's a lot of challenging situations out there and they want to be a part of supporting a group that helps support others. And so if they get some good food out of it, they get to have some great food and then we're the ones to write the check back to the nonprofit. So I think it's a win-win. Yeah, it's really amazing. Really amazing work you've done there. What about now you've, you know, you, you open in 2018, you've gone through a, a terrible time like any other operator. Um, what have you, uh, what is your approach to growth now? Is it, are you one restaurant or are you thinking about, you know, we have something that works here, we need to find do more restaurants or it's it's growth within the current framework or what, what is it? Yeah, really good question. Since we opened Hearth and Hill in December of 2018, our goal has been to grow. Uh, you know, we love the word scale. Uh, just like many restaurateurs, scale has such a great impact and can really provide um, great benefits, you know, better costs of goods, um, more opportunities for those within your team to grow and get promotions and raises um, and more visibility amongst the community and amongst the nation and the country. And so we have three more outlets that are in the works. Um, one will be coming in about a month, mid-February, um, that will be a grab-and-go cafe and catering kitchen called Hill's Kitchen. Um, and we're really excited. We've done a lot of catering since we opened three years ago, but this will allow, allow us the opportunity to grow our catering. And then the front will have about 20, 25 seats. Um, we'll, and it'll be open from eight to three with coffees, juices, teas. We have two pastry chefs that will be making fresh pastries every day. Um, and so we're really excited about that. And then we have two restaurants down in Salt Lake City that will be opening. Uh, Salt Lake City, for those that aren't aware, is about a 25, 30 minute drive from Park City and is really growing. You know, many newspapers like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal have said that Salt Lake City uh, is bound to rebound from the pandemic better than most cities in the United States. Um, and we've got a huge Silicon Slopes, as they call it, a tech industry. Uh, you've got, you know, Adobe has a huge office. Goldman Sachs has a huge office. And so we've always had our eye on, on growing to Salt Lake. And so now we have two leases signed down there. Um, the first one will be a slightly higher end restaurant than Hearth and Hill. And that will be called Urban Hill in a new district called the Post District. Uh, Traeger Grills, which is a big brand here in Utah and throughout the United States, uh, their headquarters is moving there. Um, there'll be 580 residential units amongst the development. And we'll have a 7,000 square foot restaurant. It'll be our biggest restaurant. Um, kind of a modern American grill. Uh, beautiful wine room, open bar, open kitchen. We're really excited about that opening in August of 2022. 
Uh, so in just about six, seven months from now. And then the last one we have a lease sign for is another Hearth and Hill. And that will also open in Salt Lake City in the Sugar House area. Um, and that one's probably about a year off, uh, early 2023 for that one. So we'll be going from about 5,000 square feet to over 22,000 square feet um, in the next year. And so a lot of challenges ahead of us, but we're starting to build up our team to allow us to take on those challenges and be successful. It's interesting that you are not just taking the concept you've been successful with and just saying, we're going to open four of these. You are building concepts there's a need for, or you can extend current uh, business. Is that on purpose or have, have you thought that through? It's part of your growth plan that it's more about how we scale the philosophy through different concepts or different ways of creating revenue. Yeah, really good question. You know, when we opened Hearth and Hill three years ago, yeah, I, I don't think we really thought like, all right, what would the next restaurants be? We certainly did not think that they were going to be Hills Kitchen or Urban Hill. That that has kind of developed over time. Uh, you know, I think there was a thought that maybe we would duplicate Hearth and Hill. So that one's not as much of a surprise. Um, but the others, you know, have just grown over time. And in the last year, they were concepts that we felt were needed for the area where we've signed the lease and um, the community we believe has, you know, needed, um, you know, down in Salt Lake City, there's a great restaurant scene, but the challenge is a lot of the larger scale restaurants like we like to do are corporate chains. Um, you've got Cheesecake Factory, California Pizza Kitchen, um, and, you know, a lot of steakhouses, Ruth's Chris and Fleming's um, that are chains um, that are great, serve their purpose. Um, but we feel like the average guest wants to support the independent restaurant. And so that's where we come in. And there's a lot of great independent restaurants in Salt Lake, but many are small, two, 3,000 square feet. And we're big believers in larger scale restaurants. And so we feel like we'll have our own little niche in the Salt Lake area. And so that kind of developed itself. And uh, I think some of it we'll see. You know, we're optimistic that they'll all be successful. But uh, as we learned during the pandemic, you don't know until you throw it up against the wall and, and see what sticks. You know, we saw that at Hearth and Hill. We tried a lot of different things when we were, you know, only open for curbside. Um, some things worked really, really well. Um, you know, we, we tried some farmer's market bags that were great for a while, um, where we supported all the local farmers and people would come on a weekly basis and pick up bags that had local ice creams and produce and breads and meats and cheeses. Um, and then we saw other things, like we do this hip hop brunch and we did it at the restaurant. And then during the pandemic, we tried to do a curbside version and it wasn't really that successful. So. You know, it's it's. I think it's really important. We are lucky enough to have the opportunity to try some things, and we're optimistic that they're going to work out really well. As you are growing, you're going to say that's quite a rapid growth for you guys. It's like four hundred percent over the next one and a half years. Um, and I know, and you know, in your background, that's a challenge, and often it's the, the people factor. You know, especially in this environment. Uh, but I think it comes to me the question I was thinking about: well, What is your what is your leadership approach, and how do you going to do this? How are you going to scale that philosophy? As you uh, suddenly, it's not you can't be there every day, and your dad can't be there, your wife, and you know, suddenly you need to spread yourself and yeah, dilute your impact for a period. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. We, uh, you know, the beginning of our mission statement is to inspire our associates. And that has become our mantra throughout the, you know, three plus years now that we've been open. And we are nothing without our team. Uh, we believe in that. And from day one, uh, we told our team when we, you know, first put everybody together before we open Hearth and Hill, which is we want to be a place that, are, uh, yes, we want to win awards for being a great restaurant, but we'd rather win awards 
for being the best place to work. Uh, and we feel strongly that we want to do everything we can to be the place that when people walk in the door every single day, they feel excited to be there and happy to be there. And there's challenges in people's lives and there'll always be some things that detract from that. But overall, if we can be the place that they are enjoying to be at, then obviously they're going to be with us longer. Um, we can train those people. And so that's really been something that we're big on. So since day one, we've offered health insurance to all of our full-time employees, a 401k program. We give a free family meal to our staff for lunch and dinner uh, twice a day. Uh, we do an associate of the quarter. We just announced our associate of the year. We do two um, big kind of employee events a year where we close the restaurant and, and celebrate our staff and thank them for all of their hard work and invite their families to come. Um, and then a, a lot of other events throughout the year to help just support the team and thank them for being a part of us and, and hopefully be that strong leader in the industry. And then second, is we've been lucky to be able to add more managers to our team a little bit earlier than expected. You know, for example, Urban Hill, which isn't opening until August, we, we've had the chef for that restaurant for about three or four months now has been on our team, Nick Zacco. And he, you know, we're able to immerse him into our culture um, before we send him down to Salt Lake to represent us and open our next restaurant. Um, so, you know, we've, we've got a director of operations starting in a couple of weeks. Uh, we've just promoted our opening chef uh, to culinary director. Uh, so just really trying to, to grow uh, internally amongst the management team slightly earlier than maybe we should or others would so that we're fully prepared um, and ready to take on those challenges uh, and then build up our team uh, amongst our management team. You know, one thing that we've also taken pride in is being just slightly heavier on the management side because um, in each restaurant, because then we feel that that is going to help support the management team that is working in there. You know, like, for example, when I was at Montage Du Valley, it was a lunch and dinner restaurant seven days a week, and there was just two managers. And that meant that on one of the managers, two days off, the other manager would have to work an open to close two straight days. And that's a long day. And I think a lot of us in the industry are, are bred to do that and are fine to do that. But I think in today's society and industry, it's, it's a little bit different. And so by having a larger management team, that ensures that people get their two days off and they're not working doubles all the time, that they're able to work a standard shift and focus on that because we tell them we want you to enjoy your time off so that when you're at the restaurant you give us a hundred percent and that way it's that 50 50 relationship where we're going to do everything we can to support you um, we take a lot of pride in providing our team with all the the utensils and uh, supplies that they need so if they ever come to us and say we're out of trays or we need more silverware or, we need more bowls we quickly buy it because we know that if they don't have the supplies that they need they're not going to be happy um, and an unhappy manager, that means that you're having unhappy staff and so on and so forth. And so we really try to do everything we can to support them because we have the expectation that they're going to do everything they can to support us. Um, and really something, you know, we we're just going to our profit and loss statement last week in our manager meeting as we do after every month. And really the, the key thing we challenged them with that I was challenged with at a young point in my career is to act as if the business is their own. And um, so they, they can make financial and uh, employee-based decisions that are in the best interest of the business. Uh, and we feel that, that is going to help support everybody. How much permission, it's still a small business, I know that, how much permission to, uh, freedom to operate have you in that? Because you, I don't know if you ever heard about the term open book management, where you actually very openly say, this is how we perform. Uh, Singermans, I don't know if you know them in the US, are very known for this approach, where the whole team is involved in the PL, and I think it's a weekly basis. 
um and they say so what are we going to do with that the, the money is running over there what are we going to do with it and it's not the ceo or the restaurant manager coming up with the solution it's the team yeah we feel the exact same way and actually matter of fact my dad said that to our team that we are very transparent in our financials because that's the only way that you can hold people accountable for the financials is if they're aware of of what's going on um and with my dad being in the financial industry we're obviously very number driven uh numbers don't lie uh, and so we like to make fact-based decisions uh, off of our financial numbers, uh, off of our product mixes. You know, what's selling, what's not selling. That's a lot of the time the ways that we make decisions as to how our menu is going to shape. You know, if we're going to make changes, well, the item that's sold the least probably should be taken off the menu. Um, clearly, it hasn't been as well received as other items on our menu. So I think, you know, numbers are, are so vitally important. And I think, Michael, unfortunately especially in the last decade, that the average restaurant manager that we have found that we've brought on to our team has very little, if at no, financial uh, understanding, knowledge. You know, they, they were managing a restaurant, just opening the doors, turning on the lights, and at the end of the night, locking the doors and really not paying attention to where they stood. Um, so every single Monday through Friday, we send out uh, an Excel spreadsheet to our management team that shows where we stand for the month on our revenue on our discounts, on our beverage costs, on our labor costs, um, so that every single day they're they're in the loop. They know that, all right, oh, shoot, we're three percentage points above where we should be for our labor costs. We need to, you know, make some changes or get this person off of overtime or, you know, just be better understanding to it so we can make real-time decisions. Um, and I think the other thing with that that is so vitally important today is inflation and being able to make... Um, menu decisions that are, you know, from a price standpoint, uh, that don't negatively impact the business. You know, for example, at the beginning of the summer, we had a scallop dish on our menu that when we put it on, it was an appetizer. I think scallops are about $20, $22 a pound. A month later, scallops are up to $33 a pound. Uh, not achievable to have on your menu. So we took the scallops off the menu because it just, you know, for that cost, what we were going to have to charge people, uh, just wasn't going to be well received. And so, um, you know, menu costing is something that we now are doing more often. Before we would do it quarterly. Now we're doing it monthly to see, all right, did the tuna prices rise? Did salmon prices rise? Did chicken go up, you know, or down? Or, you know, just to making sure that, uh, you know, for example, the burger, you know, if we're going to charge $16 for the burger, but our cost went from $3 to $4, well, we should probably charge more um, and not just continue to charge the same price and just we're the ones that have to eat. Uh, the impact of that. So I think it's really just uh, educating our team as to fully understand the financials and make decisions that they uh, that are the best interest of the business on them. There's a book called the, the the Great Game of Business, and I think it's also where Singerman's got the idea from. And it's all about I implemented this as well, where you actually learn them the game of business because lots of restaurant managers, as you said, or leaders, don't learn the financial sides of business, and therefore they never really find out what is it that I need to get my team to do to be successful because we all know if there's not enough money in the bank it doesn't matter all the good things we want to do because we can't afford them and then we're just running in this loop of insanity and frustration and people are going to be frustrated because then suddenly you lost so much money you need to do brutal cuts and that's what it's about it's about you always lose money and win some here and there but it's about not ending in that situation where you're just so much behind the only way forward is to cut cut cost cost so dramatically it's going to become a bad place to work or 
are a bad place for customers. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so many restaurants that I've learned, uh, both here in Park City and around the country, that just look at their bank account every day and see where they stand. And that's how they manage their finances, which I think personally uh, is, is a poor way to go about it because you don't fully, you know, how do you know where all your finances are going and who you're paying? Um, and so we've implemented some great software programs to allow us to look back at invoices, see the trends, you know, see where prices are going, um, you know, like tuna, you know, going up, going down, where has it been? Where is it going? Um, and so I think that that is vitally important to, like I said, be able to make the right decisions. Um, and, you know, what I took from Merriman's in Maui, the restaurant I worked at in Hawaii, um, is a mantra that Peter Merriman had, which is to do the right thing. And sometimes doing the right thing means spending more money. And uh, I know that's a tough pill to swallow for a, re- a lot of restaurateurs, especially those small independent ones like ourselves. Um, and especially in the pandemic, when you don't have the amount of money coming in the bank that you were hoping for. And so, you know, one decision we made that has made a long lasting impression is we paid all of our management team full salary during the pandemic um, because we knew that, yes, that was a larger expense to us, but we felt the impact that it would have on all of them, uh, knowing that there were so many other businesses that had to lay off people or cut people's salaries and we weren't doing that, that that would really help generate some goodwill and just people really uh, be grateful for it. And they have, and they've been here with us and helped support us. And so we're, we're grateful for that, but yeah, financial knowledge. And I, I think too, you know, the cool thing about restaurants, Michael, is that they gain that here with us, but then they can transfer it to their own life too. Cause you know, it makes you think, well, are you not managing your own finances? Uh, and I think that that is a challenge that unfortunately is well known in the restaurant industry that you have so many people that work in the restaurant industry that are paycheck to paycheck that, you know, depend upon it. Uh, and I think that the pandemic has made it so much more challenging because you have COVID that could put someone out for two weeks where they can't afford to be out for two weeks. And so then, you know, are they trying to come to work with COVID not, you know, so that they don't miss out on a paycheck and it's presented some interesting challenges. And so we've always tried to help people in their own financial ways and how can we help support you during challenging times? Um, we've had some associates who have lost family members or we just recently had an associate from the Philippines whose family's house was wiped out due to a, a large weather event. And so we uh, gather our team together and our associates put together $2,500 and then we match that. So we presented the associate with over $5,000 uh, to send to his family in the Philippines um, to help them rebuild their house. And so just little things like that go a really long way and, and obviously people really appreciate it. Yeah, it's not so much the amount, it's also the the act of actually caring for that. That that's principle, nothing to do with my work, but actually you you can see that. And I think it's really interesting that thing about, you know, these uh, financial skills with our transfer transferable skills you can take everywhere in your life, either next job or into your private life and uh, and I can still remember when my first boss, I uh, was my first manager role around 18, 19, sat down and learned me PL. And I thought, I don't get any of this. And why should I know that? I just need to run the shift out there and the team, which was what I enjoyed. But today, I'm so glad I've had a number of my own businesses that actually that was learned from an early age, you know. Uh, and actually, I think, you know, it's that thing, it's as much of seeing what reality is, but also trying to predict about what you can actually achieve very quickly by just touching a small number here and there. You can make compound impact on, on your finances very quickly. You, as you said, it's not always about cutting costs. It's also about where do I invest to grow sales or 
improve my retention in my people and so on. So really, 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 really some really good point there, Brooks. Um, what do you think, you know, if you're looking from your independent, where you're sitting in the world, are the key challenges for hospitality right now? What is it that, you know, that's coming down ahead of us? We have been through a lot of challenges and some of them are not solved yet, but um, what are they? Yeah, I think the average restaurateur would probably tell you the list is pretty long. Um, yeah, I think the obvious one is labor. Um, the one that's most talked about around the world uh, in the hospitality industry and in a lot of industries for that matter. And so, you know, we've had a lot of debate about this amongst our team and we're grateful, like I said, to really try to be the employer of choice since the beginning and provide our associates with a great place to work. And that's allowed us to be fully staffed at the moment, which we're very grateful for. Um, you know, one key component for that is that we have developed a great pipeline to our local high school. And so we've got about a dozen high school students that work for us as busters, food runners, hosts, and they've really been key to our success and being able to get through these challenges. Um, and I think, you know, something I've said to a couple of different media outlets, but really to our team and had some in-depth conversations with our, our culinary director, Jordan Harvey, is I, I've asked sometimes, you know, well, this line cook could probably go make more money somewhere else. Why are they with us? And I think it's really answered the question is that people now, the pandemic has really opened the eyes in the industry, that people want to be places where they're respected, where they're treated well, uh, and they'll take that over money. I think for many, many decades in the industry, it was all about money. And so line cooks, servers would go from one restaurant to the next if they could just make an extra $5 a day, um, which isn't that much money. But to them, they thought it was, you know, all right, you're going to pay me an extra 50 cents an hour. Great. I'm quitting this place and going to the other one. Um, but I think now more than ever uh, across um, all restaurants is that people are realizing they want to be in a place where they're treated well. And that, like I mentioned, they wake up every day or walk into the restaurant and they feel good about where they're going. Um, yes, money is important. That's how they pay their bills. But I, I think it helps, you know, if they say, you know what, I'm going to be treated really well and make $30 less a day. Uh, I'm going to stay there. I'm okay with that. Rather than go to a place where I can make $30 more um, and be treated really poorly and walk out every night wanting to bang my head against the wall. Um, so I think labor is a big one that is going to continue to challenge the hospitality industry. I mean, you've also seen, you know, handhelds that we use in our restaurant to provide more efficiency and to allow one server to serve more tables than they've been before. You have a lot of fast casual restaurants having the kiosks instead of people manning the counter where the guest just goes up to a kiosk, put their order in, pay for it. Uh, so technology, I think, is going to become larger and larger in our industry um, and really have a huge impact. Uh, obviously supply chain, uh, trying, you know, I think menus, uh, are smaller than ever before. We certainly have downsized our menu by a few items, um, because a, it's harder to get items and the items that you do have are fluctuating, uh, more up and down in cost than they've ever been before. So it's harder to tell, you know, like I mentioned that, well, is the cost I'm charging really the right cost or am I losing money on this? Because, you know, the cost of the item just went up $2 in the last week. Uh, so I think that that is going to continue to be a big thing. You'll see some smaller menus um, and people utilizing maybe the same item on different dishes to cross-utilize and just be more efficient. And I think, you know, you'll see a lot more fast casual restaurants. It's something that we've seen as a trend in the last year, especially here in Utah. I think, A, because curbside and takeout have become such a big uh, industry in the United States during the pandemic. And so I think a lot of restaurateurs wanted to open that fast, casual counter service drive through where people will just come in and out. Um, and so I'm interested to see the trends of just dining experiences. You know, fine dining, I think, is an experience that 
many would say is probably slowly dying. Um, a, because costs are high uh, to run a restaurant like that, uh, especially those two, three Michelin star restaurants where everybody likes them. But A, how often are you really going to one? And B, but, you know, they're just so expensive to run because you need so much staff and, you know, so much um, plates and glassware and, and everything else. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see how the next few years operate for the restaurant industry. Is there like any restaurant model you think that is like setting the success? You mentioned the fast casual. Is there other ways, you know, like to expand your restaurant business? You had a different way of expanding as well. You didn't just buy, you know, we're not going to do 10 of these. We, we're going to find out which is the best one for the community. What What is the future looking for the restaurant model? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, obviously, I think the one thing in bigger cities that's really popular is the delivery. Um, and that's something that we haven't gotten into just because we, I guess to be blunt, we don't trust the third-party delivery services to operate with the standards that we would want them to. Um, and, you know, because you hear the horror stories of the delivery driver opening the bag and taking some French fries out on their way to the house. Um, and so I know Grubhub and Uber Eats and, and all the others are, are, especially here in the United States, um, making such a big impact. Um, and so I'm interested to see if that trend continues uh, or if maybe just because of the pandemic, it grew. And then after the pandemic kind of, you know, starts to go away here in the next year, we hope um, that that trend maybe dissipates. We'll see. Uh, very curious from the, the delivery standpoint. And if people are wanting to get back out and sit in restaurants again, or if, uh, I think just the pace at what people people move at today is quicker than ever before. And so they demand a quicker dining experience and a more convenient dining experience, being able to have something delivered to their house, um, grab something. So I think that that, will, that market, uh, that segment of the industry will really grow um, over the next few years. Uh, but I think to try to pinpoint one specific model, um, I think that that's challenging. Um, I, I do think, you know, one thing that we've talked about from a food standpoint is that comfort food has really become something that has come to the forefront of a lot of restaurants, that people want something that's simple, really good, uh, and not overdone. Um, I think the days of having dishes come out with, you know, 18 different flowers and, you know, this and this on with the tweezers and that, um, I think is a little bit less and less. People at the end of the day, they just want good, solid food um, that they can relate to, uh, that they know about, and that they want to come back for again and again. Yeah, and, and many times when people go out, if it's not a special occasion, is that decision, should we cook from scratch? Should we cook from semi-scratch? Should we take a ready meal? Should we go to a restaurant or should we order online? It's in principle, these, and that's how retailer thinks about how they sell products. Well, I think if we as restaurants start to think like that, we can really come up with some interesting model of how to, to serve the, the demand because people are going to eat no matter what, three times a day, as my mom said. That's for sure, you know. So there's always business to be be done. Um, over the last two years, you know, you you probably like many others, you know, gone through some some crazy stuff and some really had some reflection. What is your most significant learning, Rooks? What do you do? What is it, and and what did you really learn from it? And how does it change your way forward? I, I think one of the biggest things is just to be flexible. Uh, you know, I think many of us as humans uh, like to have control uh, and like to have expectations, and I think the pandemic has causes to throw both of those out the window, um, especially for restaurant people that like to, you know, have these standards in place. And this is how we do it every single day. Um, and that has obviously had to change with the pandemic where, 
you know, masks, no masks and vaccines and um, supply shortages and price increases and just so many different challenges that have been thrown our way, labor shortages, um, that being flexible is key on a daily basis. And I think just being really solution minded, you know, I think that the restaurant industry brings a lot of large personalities. And sometimes we can get so stuck on just being upset about why something didn't happen or why someone, you know, why did the server screw this up? Or, you know, why did this person show up 30 minutes late? And I think those are all important things to focus on. But I think more so is just being solution minded and, you know, trying to be as positive as you can be. Um, I think with all the negative news out there in the world today, that it, it really can pass it on to a lot of us and cause us to be a negative at times. And we really challenge our team to be as positive as we can be and um, just think about, all right, this challenge has presented itself. How are we going to get through it? What solution are we going to think of? Um, and how are we going to continue to maintain to be the best that we can be? Um, but I think, you know, a lot of people have come to us, especially in the first year of the pandemic, and praise us for being flexible and changing our way with the curbside. You know, we had three family meals for curbside. As I mentioned, we did the farmer market bags. Um, we did on all the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, Mother's Day. We did special family meals. Uh, we continue to do that even after we've been open for dining now for well over a year and a half. Um, so I think people want to help support a restaurant that um, adapts and changes. And I think they're quick to see businesses and restaurants that just continue to do the same thing when they're like, you really can't be doing that right now. You know, there, there's things that are challenging you. So I think just adaptability and flexibility have been really key. Yeah, I love that. I've heard that from, from other guests as well, talking about this agility, they call it as well, and flexibility as the key thing. And don't, you know, because you do business in one way, it doesn't mean tomorrow you will be doing that. You just have to be ready to accept that. And don't get emotional about it. That's just the facts. And as Wanda said, we need to act a bit more like retailers. If they have something not working, they're going to change that. If it's a store or whatever it is, they're just deal with it and they don't stay emotionally because that was their first store or so on they just deal with it because it's business we need to get it working or else we'll not be here in x amount of time um what about yourself brooks you've also been on a journey what is like the you know there's there must be some people in that journey you know and i'm always interested to hear that like that really influenced you and the way you think business and the way you do things and the standards you set for your own business now. Who are these people and uh, and why? Yeah, great question. I, I've always been a believer in picking people's brains um, from all industries. And so I'm, I'm big on you know meeting people for coffee or for lunch. Um, and I challenge a lot of our team as well that I learn things by asking others and watching others. Uh, and so I, I always challenge them. I'm like, if, if you see someone that you want to learn from, ask them to go to coffee and pick their brain for an hour because I think that you'll really take a lot away from that. And so that's where I've, I've learned a lot. But I, I think Peter Merriman is someone in my career that I've learned a lot from in Hawaii. Um, you know, someone that really built himself up from the ground up there and has built himself an empire of sorts and does things the right way. Um, like I mentioned, you know, the motto of doing, th doing the right thing um really stuck with me obviously my dad is someone that i look up to and admire and has been a, a big partner and someone that I, uh you know the thing that my mom and dad really raised me on is respect you know i write a thank you note to just about everybody that i i meet with or that spends time with me um a handwritten thank you note because I, I think that that goes a really long way and it's a lost art these days um but i think especially in our industry uh covid the pandemic has also caused i think a lot of restaurateurs to be more respectful than ever before. Um, I think because unfortunately our industry allowed people to lash out and to be
be temperamental. And that was viewed as okay at times. And I think now in the society that we live in, it's absolutely not okay. And we want to treat people as we want to be treated. And we want people to feel comfortable and respected, even if they make mistakes and go through things the right way. Um, so my dad, Peter Merriman, I think there's been a lot of other restaurateurs or, you know, that I've just picked the brains of. Boca Restaurant Group I, I've talked to. Gosh, I'm trying to think. There's a restaurant group up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, that does a great job. And so just a couple that I, I keep in touch with and I'm able to understand, all right, what are you doing? What aren't you doing? What did you learn? And then that can obviously help me as well. How do you, uh, Brooke, show up pro every day? Like, how do you find the energy to keep on, you know, moving forward? You know, and it's, it's you know, restaurant industry in itself is a, a tough gig already. And then a pandemic on top when you just launch your your own venture. So how do you find the, the power to do it? That's a really good question. I think that it's uh, something that uh, I think all restaurateurs face on a daily basis because, you constantly have your buttons being pushed. You're constantly being asked so many different questions. Um, you know, we now, this week, I think we'll be at 14 salaried managers on our team as we're growing. And that's a lot of people to ensure that they're happy so that then the people below them are happy. Um, and so at times I like to feel like I'm the therapist or the psych- psychiatrist that's constantly fielding, you know, their concerns, their emotional challenges, both personally and then professionally. And this person did this and why am I doing this? And so, um, you know, one thing that I take a lot of pride in helping support is the mental health aspect. I think that it's something, again, that the pandemic has helped shed a little light on, but not as much light as I think it needs in our industry is that we have so many people going through mental health and it's okay to get a therapist. Um, you know, I, I've spoken with one and I think especially in roles like we're in as restaurant tours, owners, managers, that you should, you should seek help. And, you know, when you have so many different viewpoints coming to you on a daily basis, you need someone to, you know, be able to verbalize to and event to and to talk to. And so I think mental health is something that uh, should continue to have a, a light shed on it throughout our industry because so many people are affected and we have such a great opportunity to assist them and help them. And so I, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, I just really try to be the leader that I want everybody else to be, um, to be as positive. And I'm not perfect, so I'm going to make mistakes. There'll be moments where I should be better. And, and uh, one of our sayings is feedback is a gift and learning from that feedback. And sometimes when you unwrap that feedback, it's it's not the, the present that you wanted, but it's the present that you needed. And so I think that listening to that feedback and understanding it and trying to learn from it is crucial. And uh, just being positive goes a really long way. I think just being nice. You know, in the last couple of months, we've started to see a little bit of a shift in our guests' tones and in some of our employees as well. But yes, everybody's sick and tired of the masks and the vaccine conversations and everything else. Um, and just be nice. Uh, goes a really, really long way. And so as I tell our management team is that our team below us, they're only going to be as great as we are. And so if we're not nice, if we don't lead by example, if we're not positive, then they're not going to be those characteristics. And so it's really crucial for us to be the great example uh, so that people follow in our footsteps and, and do a good job every day. Yeah, and you need to be the the standard you want to see, as Michael Jordan said as well. Most people know him, that he really, it was not every night you felt that you were up to your game, but you just had to go and do your best. What advice would you give to leaders is always a question I ask. There's out there trying to accelerate their businesses and find a way forward in the, in the current environment. What is your top three advice for them? 
you know, one, I think a lot of people struggle with sometimes is just asking for help. You know, don't be the hero. Um, other business owners want to help other business owners. Um, other restaurant owners want to help other restaurant owners. So I think don't be afraid to go out there and, and call up a restaurant, email a restaurant owner, whatever it might be. And, and like I said, pick their brain or ask, hey, I'm really trying to find a new point of sale system or I'm really trying to find a better vendor for my breads or whatever. Um, and other people can help you and help you save a lot of time too. Um, and probably point you in a better direction than maybe you would if you were just trying to do it on your own. So I think asking for help um, is a really big one. Um, I think doing research, you know, going out there, checking out some other restaurants, you know, every couple of months, we take a lot of our management team out, both in the Salt Lake City. Um, a few of us just went to Vail, Colorado about two and a half weeks ago um, to check out some restaurants there in a, in a similar mountain town. Um, so I think do some research, see what else is out there, constantly kind of keep yourself fresh as to what's changing. What are other restaurants doing? Because um, I think, too, one thing that always excites me with that is that sometimes you think as a restaurant or you're on this island that, oh, I'm the only one facing a labor shortage or oh, I'm the only one that has my vendor that screwed up my order three times or whatever it might be. And then when you talk to another restaurant owner in the same city or a different state, that they face the same challenges that you do. And it makes you feel really good um, and just like I'm not alone. And so I think that those are a couple of big advice that I give um to other people and then like i mentioned really just be flexible um i, I know that we all want to do things a, a similar way every day but there is change that needs to happen and just be open to that um and i think just be open to a conversation with the others on your team so that uh, communication is so key to keeping your team on the same page um and that's something that we pride ourselves in from emails text messages phone calls whatever it might be just so that people aren't surprised um because we often find that surprises are what really can create challenges amongst the team. Yeah, I love that thing about asking for help, you know, like, because again, it's something we are not very good at in general as business owners. My, and I have to, I had this situation last week where, you know, a very good friend of mine, John, and he said to me, why don't you just go and ask somebody that's done it, Michael? Oh yeah, oh, yeah you're right. I haven't thought about that because I give that advice myself all the time to him. And then there is uh, the thing about, you know, you actually need to take time out to to research. You know, you need to f take the time out and not only you as the owner, but actually take your some key members with you because they will look differently at what you're looking at and maybe see opportunities or, you know, challenges what you're looking at. Instead, you're coming home. I've seen this great concept. We should do this. And then nobody else has seen it. I have no idea about what you're talking about. Um, and then, you know, that thing about keep on talking because we did that really well in the start of the pandemic, I feel. And I thought that's a really a change. And now you can see that we've gone a bit back to maybe also because we lived like hermits a lot of the time. We, we forget the, the power of communication and the unsaid stuff, you know, that is in communication as well because we have to remember to listen within that. Love that. Great advice, Brooks. Uh, is there anything you want to me to have asked you i didn't ask you um in this conversation is there like a question i forgot to ask you that's in incredible important to you oof that's a that's a that's a good one i like that you asked that um i always say you know maybe what uh your favorite meal or some of the favorite items on the menu um you know i i, I was lucky enough when i was younger to have a lot of travels to asia and so we have some good asian influence on our menu like our gyoza our shumai our ramen um, all top sellers uh, and things that I enjoy having on a daily basis are poke bowl. 
um, you know, a new trend that has really uh, spiraled out of control, I think, but our guests really love. Um, so yeah, I think uh, we've got a great kitchen team that puts it all together. Uh, and I think, you know, another question that I always, uh, you know, like to ask other people is what keeps you up at night? Um, I think, you know, especially in, in this age, um, I think a lot of things keep a lot of people up at night. And for us, it's just, you know, ensuring that our team is happy, um, doing as much as we possibly can to keep them content. And there's going to be a point where you've just done everything you can and it's just maybe not the right fit anymore and they need to go find somewhere else that can provide them with what they're looking for. But um, we really, that's what keeps me up at night. Uh, obviously, my family as well, but um, our team is, is somewhat of our family uh, and we think of them as that way and just trying to do everything we can to ensure that they're happy um, and enjoying coming to work every day. Great, great. That was a great question. Yeah, I, lo I love that. What keeps you up at night? Yeah, because that's really, really interesting for all of us. We all have something either short or long term that keeps you up at night. Um, what is, uh, where can people find out more about you, Brooks, and uh, the, the restaurant business that's growing? And is there online places they can go to connect with you if they have any questions and so on? Yeah, like I mentioned, uh, anybody's listening would love to hear from you. Any questions that you may have, always happy to jump on a Zoom call or a phone call. Um, my email is just Brooks, B-R-O-O-K-S-K at hearth-hill.com. Uh, or you can go to our website, hearth-hill.com. My information's on there as well. Um, our Instagram is just hearth and hill. Uh, so welcome to message us there. And I always you know look at that and respond. So yeah, we'd love to hear from people. Follow us on our, as we grow. Um, our Hills Kitchen already has their own Instagram. So yeah, please reach out. We'd love to hear from people. Great, great. Thank you so much, uh, Brooks, for coming on the on the show and sharing your story and what you're up to and uh, all the all the learnings and all the challenges you see and some of the solution and, and the power of taking care of your team. It's been absolutely incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brooks. And thank you for sharing your learnings. And we love the way you have used the pandemic as an opportunity to build something better. And you're great thinking about how you can grow your business differently. I would recommend you now to ask yourself, how can we approach the growth question differently? Is there a better and other way than just growing the number of units and sites? To get further inspiration on how to think growth, please tune in to our bonus episode, Hospitality in the Infinite Game, episode number seven, where we talk small giants, a different approach to growth. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their social at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly on advice at bizsimply.com. A big thank you to Fina Charlton, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us, subscribe to the newsletter, and get more Maverick insights at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be Maverick.